0: Good morning and welcome to Christ Central. My name is Owen. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. Whether you're joining us in person or online, thank you for joining us for worship this Sunday morning. We're going to continue our sermon series through the Gospel of Luke, which we're calling Following Jesus Through the Book of Luke. And the goal of this series has been simply to follow Jesus around as he moves through the Book of Luke. And we've been paying attention to the things that he did and listening to the things that he said. And as we've watched his compassionate actions and as as we've listened to his life-giving words, my prayer and hope is is that that we as a church would be more certain of the things that we believe as followers of Jesus Christ, that Jesus really is the Son of God, that he really is the promised Messiah, and that he really is the Savior of the world and that he really is worth following, even though that can be really hard and challenging at times. The title of today's sermon is The Salvation of Zacchaeus. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 19, um, and we're going to read from verses 1 to 10, and we're going to read a well-known story in the Bible. It's the story of Zacchaeus. Most of you heard it uh, about the wee little man who climbed up a tree to see Jesus as he passed by. So people of God, this is the word of your God. Would you please give it your careful attention? Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up. And said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, The half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Here's the outline for today's sermon. First, the need for salvation. Second, the Lord of salvation. And third, the fruit of salvation. Let's start with the need for salvation. In this story, we meet a man named Zacchaeus. And his name means, in the Hebrew, righteous one. But Zacchaeus did not live up to the meaning of his name, for he was not a righteous man. Old Testament scholar Bruce Waltke said that the difference between the righteous and the wicked is this. The righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. But the wicked are willing to disadvantage the community in order to advantage themselves. And according to this definition, Zacchaeus was not a righteous man. In fact, he was a wicked man. And that's because Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Tax collectors were hated because they were traitors to their own country. They were collaborators with the enemy. They did the dirty work of collecting taxes for the Roman government, which was a painful and humiliating reminder that they were under the domination of Rome, that they were subjugated to Rome. You see, they had to pay their taxes or else Rome would come and destroy them. But tax collectors weren't just traitors. They were also oppressors. abused their power for personal gain they got rich at the expense of their own people let me explain to you just briefly how the tax collection system worked back then tax collectors would uh, offer to prepay the roman government the taxes and the tolls to be collected in a certain district or region for the upcoming year and taxation contracts were awarded to the highest bidder and so if a tax collector won a bid or won a contract, he would prepay the Roman government the entire sum of the taxes and tolls that were estimated to be collected that year. And it was a very large sum of money. So even to be a tax collector, you had to be rich because you had to have the capital to put up the money. And then he would spend the rest of the year collecting tax and tolls in his designated region until he collected at least what he prepaid the Roman government. And then, of course, he would collect on top of that because that was his personal profit. And the more taxes he collected, the richer he got. And, of course, tax collectors had Roman soldiers as their muscle. So the people in this taxation jurisdiction had to pay whatever the tax collectors demanded, no matter how unfair or unjust it was because the Roman government didn't really regulate what the tax collectors did in their own regions, there was a lot of room for corruption and abuse, as you can imagine. You see, the tax collection system was an unjust system, and it basically allowed for institutionalized robbery by greedy and oppressive tax collectors. Now, verse two tells us that Zacchaeus was not only a tax collector, but he was a chief tax collector. That meant that Zacchaeus' tax collecting business was so large, so massive, that he had to hire other tax collectors to work for him and under him. You see, if tax collectors were hated, then chief tax collectors were even more hated. They were like the head boss of a criminal organization. And to make matters worse, verse 2 tells us that Zacchaeus was rich. Now, the only way tax collectors got rich was by overtaxing, by making the people in their districts pay excessive taxes. Zacchaeus was rich because he defrauded his own countrymen. He abused his power and he oppressed his own people by forcing them to pay excessive taxes so that he could get rich. You see, Zacchaeus disadvantaged his community in order to advantage himself. Zacchaeus was a wicked man in the truest sense of the word. So Zacchaeus was hated and despised not only because he was a traitor but more importantly because he was an oppressor. Zacchaeus was not a very likely candidate for the kingdom. If anyone ever deserved to be hated and treated with contempt, if anyone ever deserved the wrath and the judgment of God for his injustice and oppression of others, if anyone was ever lost, If anyone ever needed to be saved, it would be Zacchaeus, who was not just a tax collector, but a chief tax collector and a rich tax collector. Now, according to verse 3, when Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was passing through Jericho where he lived and worked, he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because there was such a huge crowd around Jesus, and because he was so short, he was unable to see Jesus, and because the people wouldn't let him through because nobody liked him, Zacchaeus saw where Jesus was going to be, and then he ran ahead, climbed up a sycamore tree so that he can get a good view and a look of Jesus when Jesus passed by. Now we have to pause here and ask, why did Zacchaeus want to see Jesus? Now, we don't know for sure because the text doesn't tell us. But this is where I think we can have some creative, sanctified imagination. Maybe Zacchaeus heard that Jesus had a soft spot for tax collectors. Maybe he even heard that one of his 12 disciples was actually a former tax collector, Matthew. And maybe he wanted to see who this Jesus was, that a tax collector would leave his money in order to follow Jesus. Remember... Remember this, a tax collector already prepaid the money to the Roman government. And so if he stops collecting taxes, that means it's all personal loss. Why would Matthew follow Jesus and give up his entire investment uh, in his tax collecting business? Why would he do that? And even though Zacchaeus had all the money he could ever need or want, maybe his heart was still empty. Maybe he realized that no amount of money could ever fill the emptiness in his heart. You see, Zacchaeus had sacrificed everything to get the money that he craved, right? He sacrificed his reputation, sacrificed all of his relationships. His family probably disowned him. It disgraced his family that he actually became a tax collector. He didn't have any friends because who wants to be friends with a tax collector? And even other tax collectors weren't friends. They were just competition. So here was Zacchaeus, so rich and yet so empty and so alone. And maybe he felt like something was missing in his life so that, and I don't know why, but he wanted to see Jesus. Now, we don't know the reason why Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, but we do know this. It was God who was stirring up a desire in Zacchaeus' heart to want to see Jesus. Now, some of you wanna be rich, right? You wanna be really rich. You wanna make bank, and you're willing to do whatever it takes to become uber rich, some of you. But I suspect that most of you don't wanna be a crazy rich Asian, right? You just wanna be moderately rich. You wanna have just enough, right? Just enough to pay the bills, just enough to provide for your family, just enough to save a little bit, just enough to take a nice vacation or two a year. You think, if I had just a little bit more money, if, I, if my job would just pay a little bit more, then I'll be secure, then I'll be happy. But the truth is, that's a lie. You see, no matter how much money you make or accumulate, it cannot and it will not give your heart what your heart longs for. You see, no matter how much money you make or accumulate, it will never be enough. Like Zacchaeus, your heart will still be empty, restless and insecure. You see, our problem isn't that we don't have enough money. Our problem is that we think that money can give us what our hearts want, but no amount of money can give us what our hearts need. Now, some of you have made your fortunes, and you're very well off financially and materially, but you're still empty, aren't you? All the money and all the stuff that you have doesn't make you as happy or as satisfied or as secure as you thought they would. You see, sometimes God in his mercy makes you feel deeply the emptiness of your heart, even when you have everything that you've ever wanted, so that you'll begin to want to see Jesus. So first, we see Zacchaeus' need for salvation. Second, That's considered the Lord of salvation. When Jesus came to the place where Zacchaeus was, verse 5 says, Jesus looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down, for I must stay at your house today. I want you to see the love and compassion of Jesus in this encounter. There was a huge crowd that was around Jesus and following Jesus. Now, this crowd was so big that Zacchaeus had to climb up a tree in order to get a good view of Jesus. But as Jesus and this huge crowd that was around him was passing by the place where Zacchaeus was, Jesus stopped. And he looked up. And he called Zacchaeus by name. Now, how shocked Zacchaeus must have been. But I think the shock went beyond the fact that Jesus noticed him in that tree and knew his name. I think the shock went and extended to how Jesus looked at him and how Jesus said his name. You see, for the first time in years, Zacchaeus didn't get an angry look of disdain, but a loving look of compassion for the first time, someone said his name, not with hatred or disdain, but with joy. And isn't that what Jesus always does? He stops for us. He looks at us. And he calls us by name. And Jesus didn't say to Zacchaeus, I would like to stay at your house. He said, I must stay at your house today. You see, Jesus had to stay at Zacchaeus' house because it was a part of his mission. Staying at Zacchaeus' house was one of the reasons why Jesus came down from heaven to earth. And for the first time since he started his tax collecting business, someone actually wanted to come over to his house. You see, in Jewish culture uh, culture at that time, to stay at someone's house... And to receive their hospitality meant that you wholeheartedly embraced that person as your friend. And no self-respecting Jew would ever be friends with the tax collector. But Jesus was a friend to all, even to tax collectors. Jesus wanted to be friends with Zacchaeus. And so Zacchaeus hurried down from that tree and he joyfully received Jesus into his house. But when the people saw Jesus actually follow Zacchaeus and go into Zacchaeus' house, they couldn't believe it. And they began to grumble. And they said, he is gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. How, can, how could he? How can he do something like that? Doesn't he know what kind of man Zacchaeus is? And the crowd that once followed Jesus began to judge Jesus and voiced their disapproval vehemently. You see, they judged Zacchaeus for being a sinner, but then they began to judge Jesus for being a friend of a sinner. The hostility that was once focused on Zacchaeus now shifted to Jesus. You see, befriending Zacchaeus was a disastrous PR move for Jesus, right? It cost him his reputation. You see, Zacchaeus was willing to Sacrificed his reputation for money because he loved money. But Jesus was willing to sacrifice his reputation for Zacchaeus because Jesus loved Zacchaeus. In order to befriend Zacchaeus, in order to go into his house and to bring salvation to his house, Jesus had to lose his reputation. And this gives us a glimpse, a preview of what it would cost Jesus to save Zacchaeus. You see, this story of Zacchaeus is located in a very strategic place in Luke's gospel. This would be Mm. Jesus' last personal encounter before he arrives in Jerusalem and before the events that lead up to his death. And significantly... The final line in Zacchaeus' story contains the clearest summary of Jesus' mission in Luke's entire gospel. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Even those who were as lost as tax collectors, even the chief of tax collectors. Jesus was passing through Jericho because he was on his way to Jerusalem. And why was he going to Jerusalem? Because it would be in Jerusalem where Jesus would accomplish his mission and save the lost. In Jerusalem, in order to fulfill his mission to save the lost, Jesus would have to lose far more than his reputation. He would even have to lose his very life. And Jesus told Zacchaeus to come down from that tree and experience salvation because in a short while, Jesus himself would go up on a tree be nailed to a tree and experience condemnation. And just as the hostility of the crowd was transferred from Zacchaeus to Jesus on the cross, the hostility of God against sinners like Zacchaeus and like us would be transferred to Jesus. You see, on the cross, Jesus would be forsaken so that you and I can be forgiven. On the cross, Jesus would be cut off and cast out so that we might be accepted and brought in. You see, on the cross, Jesus would experience the wrath of God so that you and I can experience the love of God. On the cross, Jesus would be lost so that we might be saved. And friends, when you see Jesus hanging on a cross for you, dying for your sins so that you might be saved, When you see that kind of love from your Savior who is willing to lay down his life for you, when you see that, it does something to your heart. You see, when Zacchaeus saw that Jesus was willing to endure scorn in order to be his friend, that did something to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus only saw Jesus losing his reputation to love him, and he loved him, right? But we see Jesus losing far more than his reputation. Jesus lost his life. To love us. How much more should that move us to love Jesus? If Zacchaeus loved Jesus like that, how much more should we love Jesus? Friends, this is why Jesus came. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to save lost people like Zacchaeus, lost people like you, lost people like me. And he did it by losing his life. He saved the lost by losing his own life for us. And so we've talked about the need for salvation and we've talked about the Lord of salvation. Lastly, let's talk about the fruit of salvation. Now when Zacchaeus heard that people were grumbling that Jesus came to his house and after spending some time with Jesus in his house, what did Zacchaeus do? He stood up and said in verse eight, Behold, Lord! The half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. I want you to notice two things. First, I want you to notice his vow to be extraordinarily generous. Now, the Old Testament law required that a faithful Jew give away just 10% of his income, 10% of his money to care for the poor and to support the work of the temple. And it was considered very generous to give away 20% of your money. But Zacchaeus offered to give away 50% of all that he owned. This was extraordinarily generous. And then from the remaining 50%, notice his vow to make restitution. According to Old Testament law, restitution for extortion or or theft or stealing was full repayment plus one-fifth, plus 20%. So that restitution was, you get back 120% of what you stole. But Zacchaeus said that if he defrauded anyone through his unjust tax collecting, that he would repay them fourfold. Not just 120%, but 400%. Zacchaeus had cheated so many people, but watch what he does. He's willing to put his entire fortune in jeopardy to make things right. See, true repentance, friends, goes beyond saying, I'm sorry for what I did. It also extends to doing whatever is necessary to right the wrong that you caused. For example, if I steal $100 from you, true repentance means that I not only say, I'm sorry that I stole $100 from you, but I also have to give the $100 back, right? Right? My repentance is false if I only say that I'm sorry, but I refuse to return what is stolen. Zacchaeus shows that his repentance was true and genuine, genuine and that he not only vowed to return what he stole, but to, re, uh, but to restore it fourfold. Now, at this point, I need to make a quick gospel clarification. Zacchaeus' repentance was the fruit of his salvation, not the root of his salvation. What do I mean by that? Zacchaeus' vow to give his money away was not an attempt to earn salvation from Jesus. Rather, it was a response to the salvation that Jesus gave to him freely all by grace. Jesus did not require Zacchaeus to repent and to change before he went to his house and saved him. Did you notice that? Before Zacchaeus did anything, Jesus went to his house, befriended him, and saved him. But experiencing Jesus' unconditional love and spending time with Jesus made Zacchaeus want to repent, want to change. Repentance and life change come after salvation. Repentance and life change are the beautiful fruit and the evidence of salvation. You see, you don't repent and change in order to have Jesus save you, you repent and change. Or you want to repent and change because you realize that Jesus already saved you. All by sheer grace. And not because of anything that you could ever do to deserve that from him. So, how was Zacchaeus, right? Who was once so greedy that he was willing to go into tax collecting, become so generous? Now, the answer is found, I think, in verse 8. Where Zacchaeus called Jesus Lord. Now, even though Zacchaeus only saw a glimpse of Jesus' love for him, a love that was willing to endure shame and scorn for Zacchaeus, but having seen that love for him, Zacchaeus began to love Jesus. You see, the love of Jesus for Zacchaeus created and caused a new love to grow in Zacchaeus's heart, a new love for Jesus that began to replace his old love for money. In other words, Zacchaeus had a new love and a new Lord in his heart. You see, for so many years, money was the love and the Lord of Zacchaeus' heart. He loved money. He lived for money. Money was his idol. Money was the love of his heart. Money was the Lord that he served. But now, because salvation had come to Zacchaeus' house, because salvation had come to Zacchaeus' heart, Zacchaeus had a new Lord, the Lord Jesus. Jesus. And Jesus, his new Lord, had liberated his heart from his slavery to his old Lord, which was money. Zacchaeus has finally found the rest, the satisfaction, and the happiness that his soul has been longing for all along. The love of Jesus had finally given Zacchaeus what he was vainly looking for in the accumulation of money. The compulsive drive to make money was gone. He no longer needed his money, and so he was able to give it away. His obsession to get was replaced with the joy to give. And not only Zacchaeus' heart was radically changed, but I want you to notice this, but his standing in his community also radically changed. Zacchaeus was once hated, but now he was beloved. He was once a predator to the community, but now he's a provider to the community. He was once a wicked man who disadvantaged his community to advantage himself, but now he's a righteous man who's willing to severely disadvantage himself to advantage his community. For the first time Zacchaeus was able to live up to the meaning of his name, righteous one, all because of Jesus. Jesus. And once case found that the Lord Jesus was his true treasure, he didn't need his earthly treasure anymore and he could give his money away to bless others. You see, when Jesus becomes the Lord of your heart, the grip that money has on your heart is loosened and you can actually begin to give your money away without it feeling like a mini death every time you do. You see, if you're a follower of Jesus, then I know that you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord of your heart. But today I want to ask you a probing question. Is he really the Lord of your heart? Or is money the functional Lord of your heart, as it was for Zacchaeus, and and as it is for so many of us who live here in Northern Virginia? Now here's some real talk, okay? You cannot truly follow Jesus without learning how to give your money away to the poor. If you do not give your money away to care for the poor, you do not follow Jesus. You may believe in Jesus, you may even like Jesus, you may admire Jesus, but you do not follow Jesus because you do not obey Jesus. Giving your money away to care for the poor and to support the work of the church are key evidences that money is not the Lord of your heart, that you are not enslaved to money, and that Jesus is truly the Lord of your heart. What we do with our money is a clear sign of who our functional Lord is. If money is the Lord of your heart, then it will kill you to give it away. It will feel like a mini death every time you have to part with your money. But if Jesus is the Lord of your heart, then you are freed from your love and worship of money, and you can use your money to please your Lord. Listen, friends, until Jesus dethrones money as the Lord in your heart, money will be the default Lord of your heart. Let me say that again. Until Jesus dethrones money as the Lord of your heart, money will be the default Lord of your heart. Loving money less is a matter of believing the gospel. You see, when you believe, really believe in your heart that it is Jesus and his love for you and his friendship with you that gives you true status, true security, and true significance as a child and heir of God, when you truly believe that, then and only then will you be able to stop looking to money to give you significance, security, and status. It is only when you truly and deeply believe the gospel that you will be radically changed. From a greedy person who clings to your money as your treasure to becoming a generous person who clings to Jesus as your true treasure. And then money will become just money. Something good and useful that you can steward to bless and serve others in a God-honoring way. Until then, money will be your lifeline. And to give it away will feel like death. So what? Two things real quick. First, if you're realizing like me that you still love your money way too much, then today I invite you to repent of your love for your money and believe again that Jesus is better than your money and that only Jesus can give you what your heart needs. You see, your money can't give you true security, true status, and true significance that your heart is hungry for. Only the love and only the friendship uh, friendship of Jesus can give that to your heart. So believe again that the love of Jesus is better and greater and more precious than all the money in the world. And then joyfully resolve to obey Jesus when he tells you to share your money with the poor and to uh, support the advance of the gospel. Second, I want to speak to you today who feel like you're so lost that you're beyond saving. Maybe you feel like God can never forgive you for all the things that you've done. Maybe you feel like you've run from God for so long that you rebelled against God for so long that there is no hope of redemption for you. Maybe people hate you. And maybe you feel like God hates you too. Today, I invite you to look at the story of Zacchaeus once again. Zacchaeus was as awful and as despicable as they come. He was truly a hated person, a true unlovable. But Jesus loves the unlovables of the world. Jesus loves Zacchaeus. He saves Zacchaeus, and the love of Jesus changed Zacchaeus. And if Jesus can do this for Zacchaeus, He can do this for you too, no matter how beyond redemption you may feel today. Today, I wanna tell you this. Jesus stops for you. Jesus looks at you and Jesus calls you by name. And he wants to come into the house of your heart and to bring salvation to you. So hurry up and come down from your tree of doubt, unbelief and resistance and joyfully Welcome Jesus into the house of your heart and he will come into your heart and he will be your friend because Jesus is not ashamed to be called the friend of sinners. So if you feel lost today, I have good news for you. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and to save you even at the cost of his life. That's how much Jesus loves you. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we have nothing to offer you but our sins. We deserve nothing but the wrath of God for our sins. And yet, you came to seek and to save the lost like us. And you were willing to do that even to the point of losing your life so that we might be saved. How great is your love for us. Lord Jesus, would you be the new Lord and the new love in our hearts that we would love you more than anyone or anything else in this world, more than parents, more than spouse, more than children, and even more than money. Would we love you first, and foremost, and would we live in the freedom and the joy of that? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand? With me?